0: Am I controlling the slides today? I am controlling the slides, so I can't get any encouraging words from Facebook folks. So I'm just going to have to preach and struggle through. Pray for me as I struggle today. We get down here on the floor, so we keep Austin busy on the cameras. So what's going on in this world? What's happening to us? Yesterday morning, I I went into Walmart with all the people who were 60 and up. Now, I'm not 60, but I thought I could pull that off because yesterday morning, for the first time, I wore a mask. I thought everybody else is, Having, getting a mask, I might as well get a mask. So my sister-in-law made me a mask. So I put my mask on. Of course, I had these, these designer sunglasses on that I have. And that actually tell me I can see far away or I can read near with these designer sunglasses. And I put a hat on from Orange Beach down in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Alabama and I didn't figure anybody would know who I was. So I went through the store with a mask on, and I'm thinking as I'm going through the store with the mask on that, number one, I was having issues with my glasses steaming up because of the mask, and I'm trying to figure out how that works. So I thought I'd just pull it down under my nose, and then Megan tells me, the nurse practitioner, it doesn't do you any good if you pull it down over your nose, so that didn't work. But I was thinking... At Christmas time, if we would have walked in, or Black Friday, if we'd have walked in with mask on, they'd have arrested us. Now they want to arrest you if you don't have a mask on. So the world is changing. Things are changing around here. So let's look at the word of the Lord today. I want to share with you a thought that's been kind of percolating and brewing in my spirit for the last few weeks about a divine reset a divine reset. And this divine reset, I was thinking now, where are resets? I, I'm hearing these words from, from men and women of God in this hour that we live in, and uh, I, I tune in and I watch people who uh, are working the gifts of prophecy and the end time, and I've been searching all that out, and... This divine reset keeps coming up. So I'm asking the Lord, where's the divine resets in the scripture? So he gave me a few that I want to share with you today, and then I want to go into a historical situation, and then I want to go to the present day. So we're going to look at the the past and the present and the future in this message today. The word divine is an adjective, and an adjective describes a noun. A noun is a person, place, or a thing. So divine means to be of or from or like God or a God. So that is divine, to be of or from God or be like God or as a God. Reset is a verb which means set again or differently, to do something different. I find it interesting in the apostolic circles that I travel and work in, a lot of times we'll start a ministry or something, and if that ministry is not working, instead of pulling the plug and resetting on it, we just let that old dog, dogged, dry ministry keep on going like it's so sacred, and we never do a reset. But a reset means we just set it again. We make some changes. We do something differently. So a divine reset is a. To do something different or to set again from God. To have a godly reset. Genesis chapter 3, there was a reset in the garden. You know the story. The garden was perfect. The garden was beautiful. The garden was wonderful. Every tree in the garden Adam and Eve had access to except for one. The tree... Of knowledge of good and good of evil, and and so that one tree in the garden, they they were told by the Lord, do not do not eat thereof, for when you do, you shall surely die. So we of course know the story that they ate of it, and then there was a situation. Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, the King James, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The New Living Translation says, And I will cause hostility. Now, up until this point, I don't know if anybody, if you're wherever you're at in the world today, if you're hot or not, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm they're shaking their head no, but I'm hot up here. I'm hot under these bright lights of fame and fortune. But anyway, there you go. Just wanted to put that out there for somebody who cared. Apparently nobody does. Uh, So here we go. We just keep on going. So the garden was full of peace. The garden was full of perfection. The garden was beautiful. Everything was wonderful in the garden until man fell, was tricked by the enemy. And now there has to be a divine reset. And so we go from peacefulness to hostility. God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he's talking to, to the devil here. So between the children of the women, of the woman, right, us, men, and between the enemy, the devil, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ coming. This is the first prophecy about the redemptive plan that God was about to reset and put in place. Then the Lord said the lord god said look the human beings verse 22 of genesis 3 have become like us knowing both good and evil what if they reach out take fruit from the tree of life and eat it they will live forever the problem with that was they would live forever in a fallen state man would live forever in a fallen state and it wasn't god's plan for man to live forever and exist forever In a fallen state. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. So after sending them out, verse 24, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So God is protecting the tree of life. In order to redeem man at a future date, there was a divine reset in the garden. There was a divine reset in the flood. That's not Genesis 3, it should be Genesis 6. There was a divine reset and the flood. Genesis 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We are just in the sixth chapter of Genesis and already God is sick and tired of the evilness of man. In just six short chapters, God is already repenting. It says that every evil imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank God that in a whole world full of sin and immorality and corruption, One man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me tell you, you can be surrounded by all kinds of evil. You can be surrounded by all kinds of sin and iniquity. You can be involved in that sin or you can just be a victim of that sin. But if one person can find grace in the eyes of the Lord, God will provide a way of escape. God will send a rescue some way, somehow to your situation. There was a divine reset in Exodus chapter 14, the Egyptian reset. Now, I want you to notice something here. Look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. It is a census, per se. We're in the year 2020 right now, and there's a census going on throughout the country. There was a census that was taken when the children of Israel moved into the land of Egypt. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was, all, was in Egypt already. Now, verse 37 of Exodus 12 says this, The night the people of Israel left Ramesses and started for Succoth, there were about 600,000 men plus women and children. Now, if each man had a wife and one child, we are now looking at 1.8 million people that have come out of Egypt. Seventy went into Egypt. 1.8 million or more came out of Egypt. Are you seeing what there was here? There is a reset that was taking place. Because God had told an old patriarch in Genesis chapter 12. He said, Abraham, you don't have any seed. Abraham, you don't have any heirs to your inheritance and your estate. Abraham, you don't have any seed. But I am going to give you nations. I am going to give you kings. Kings are going to come out of your loins. Nations are going to come out of your loins. And so what God had to do, up until that point, we had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We had these three men in these three generations, and all this was was just a small family. It was just a small family uh, that grew up and and left. And then uh, we have Isaac who comes out of the loins of, of Abraham, and then Isaac has Jacob and Esau, and all of this is about 70 souls that go into Egypt. I mean, that's less than my in-laws, my family. One of the last census that was taken with a picture back in 2014, there were 103. So that family was bigger than what went into Egypt in Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. God uses a reset in the process here. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left the land. When God does something, he does it down to the minute and to the day. When God does something, he does it precise. God moved the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of that reset on the last day of the 430th year. Verse 42, on this night the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him. And it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. That is what we just celebrated called Passover. And God passed over them and brought them out of the land of Egypt. There was an Egyptian and a divine reset. Then the Lord took me and he said, I want you to look at the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The very last prophet in the Old Testament is the prophet Malachi. Then between Malachi and Matthew, picking up writing and recording history, there's about 400 years. In this 400 years, and and as I'm researching this out, I'm learning stuff as well, there was a messianic reset. You see, before God just shows up on the scene. He gets everything ready that needs to be made ready. Before God gets ready to do something in your life, he's going to bring people into your life and situations into your life to get everything ready that needs to be ready. He is going to bring the people, the places, and the things to get ready in your life the destiny that he has called you to. We're studying about the destiny of the Lord in the Book of Destiny on Wednesday nights right now in the Connection series. There is a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. God has a divine plan and purpose for each one. And so just like that, He had a divine plan and purpose for His arrival upon the earth. You see, the 400 years of silence is the name given to the period of time between the last of the Old Testament prophets and the arrival of Jesus in the New Testament. It began with Malachi's prediction of Elijah's return. Now that's in blue font there, I'm sorry. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, which Malachi penned about 430 B.C., and this return of Elijah was a metaphoric uh, fulfillment with the coming of John the Baptist that would happen around 6 to 4 B.C., So Malachi was talking about the return of of Elijah, and really he was talking about and saw John the Baptist. While these 400 years of silence revealed no new biblical revelation, they clearly included many significant historical events. These included many changes in the rule of the land of Israel, as well as the necessary preparations for the coming of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Galatians 4, 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That 400 years, God was preparing everything. You see, God doesn't sit in heaven and cross His arms and say, What am I going to do today? I doubt that God has been counting triangles and circles and threes on Facebook. I doubt that God is wondering, I am so bored, I can't wait until this shelter-in-place is over. I believe that God is extremely busy getting his plan and purpose and will done in each of our lives, just like he was to prepare his arrival on the earth. When the Messiah finally did show up, there was the virgin birth. There was the teachings and the ministry of Jesus. There were the miracles and the signs. There was the cross, then the resurrection. And then after all of these things, I don't have time to get into all of it today. After all of these things, there is now going to be a reset in the church. You see, the church up until this point, up until Malachi, and up until the arrival of Jesus, the church was tied in and just associated with offerings and oblations, it was it was tied in with sacrifices of turtle doves, sacrifices of lambs, sacrifices and death of sheep, sacrifices and death of oxen, sacrifices and death of goats. All kinds of sacrifices, all kinds of offerings. People had to tune in. To what was really happening in the Mosaic Law? To realize what needed to happen when a, a young couple, when a young couple had a baby, they would take that baby on the eighth day to the to the tabernacle or to the temple, and that baby would be circumcised if it was a male child, dedicated to the Lord, and they would have to bring an offering for that baby, and uh, that offering would vary from a turtle dove or pigeons up until um, a uh, lamb or sacrifice of such, and you can usually tell by how wealthy or how much financial uh, means that the couple had by the sacrifice that they brought. Jesus, his parents Joseph and Mary, brought turtle doves, signifying that that's really all they could afford. And so the world at this time, in the middle of this messianic reset. That is about to birth a reset of the church from sacrifices and offerings that the law of Moses required. Now the the one official sacrifice had now been offered. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I don't know if you realize this, but it, there was a transgression, or not a transgression, there was a progression. There was a progression in the lamb sacrifices. In the Garden of Eden, it was a lamb for a man. In Egypt and Passover, it was a lamb for a family. Throughout the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament, it was a lamb for a nation, which when the lamb gave its sacrifice, shed its blood. The the, the rolling ahead of the sins of the people was for one year, and each year the high priest had to go in on the Day of Atonement and offer that sacrifice again. It just simply rolled ahead the sins. It did not wash them away. It did not abolish them. It did not remove them completely. It just rolled them ahead one more year. But when Jesus came, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking down the road and he looked and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was that final lamb sacrifice, a lamb for a world that would take away all of our sins. Not just roll them ahead, but it would take away all of our sins for all of eternity The Bible says, I believe it's in Isaiah, that God said, I will cast your sins into the sea, and I will remember them no more. God has amnesia. He doesn't remember our past sins. He doesn't remember the past transgressions and iniquities that we have done. He has forgotten them because of his blood, but you're going to have to repent You're going to have to ask God to forgive you. Repentance is just not a one-time visitation. It is a continual process. Paul said, I died daily. Paul said, I've got to kill my flesh. So there's a reset coming in the church. No more, no longer will there be a need for blood sacrifices. No longer will there be a need for, for wave offerings and heave offerings. No longer will there be a need where the high priest will go in one time a year into the holy place and offer up the sin, blood for the sins of the people. No more, because there's a reset coming in the church now. A kingdom reset was coming. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus talking here. This is the new living. If you love me, obey my commandments. Wow. That could be a whole series. If you love me, obey my commandments. If you really love me, do what I tell you. If you really love me, listen to me and do what I tell you. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. This Advocate will never leave us. This Advocate will never, ever depart from us. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now watch this. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you Now and later will be in you. This comforter that is coming, that is going to live inside of you, you already know him. You already know his identity. His identity is the Holy Spirit, who now is with you. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is now with you in the body of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is now with you in the bodily form of Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh, walking on the earth, walking among men, walking on water, feeding 5,000, teaching from a boat just off the shore, having 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, sit down and feed them lunch with five loaves and two fish. He said, "He's now. he lives with you now and later will be in you. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about a kingdom reset that is coming. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 and verse 8. Jesus again, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. And this is what Jesus said, For John truly baptized with water. John brought you to repentance. John brought you to a decision. And you were baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Jesus said you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Verse number 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. What's going to happen is there's going to be a reset. There's going to be a time. There's going to come a restructuring of things. There's going to come a change of things. There's going to come a change in the situation. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 We all know this, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave. The utterance. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. What is this? This is the divine reset in the church. This is the divine happenings in the church. Now, let's go th- through history now. Let's look at secular history. We had the early church fathers, then we had Nicene councils. The early church fathers, the apostles, we had the apostles, the disciples. Means one who was taught. An apostle means one who was sent. The apostles were there when the church was birthed in the book of Acts. All through the book of Acts, every church that was birthed you, that has a letter written to it in the epistles, you can find where it was birthed in the book of Acts. For instance, you have the book, the church at Corinth. You have First and Second Corinthians. You have the church in Ephesus. You have the book of Ephesians. You have the church of Colossians. That was the church that was established at Colossae. You have the church in Thessal- the Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians. That was the church that was established in Thessalon- Thessalonica, which is now the modern city of Thessaloniki, Greece. I've been there. That I'm telling you, every church that was founded in the Book of Acts and has a letter in the epistles, you can find out where it was birthed. So then we had the early church fathers, and those would include. Tertullian, it would include Polycarp. They would include all of these that were early church fathers. Then in a couple hundred years, the Nicene councils began to kick in. And they began to dilute down and they began to try to change the doctrine to try to merge the, the political situation with the church situation. And so we have the Nicene council in 325 that changed the doctrine of baptism and the, the establishment of the Godhead. We had all of that business which threw us and flung us into the the dark ages and inquisitions. And then finally through the inquisitions and the dark ages, there was a time of reformation where Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the diet of worms and established the just shall live by faith. And then we have awakenings. So all through history, There have been situations and times, and the church had this divine reset when Jesus was on the earth. But now it's went through all of this history, and we find ourselves at what we call the Great Awakening. Now, I don't have time to get into all of the things that the Great Awakening was, who was all involved in it, and what all happened. But I want to just give you a brief summary of what I can find here. The Great Awakening was a religious movement that swept across parts of, of the British colonies in North America in the mid-1700s. Christian preachers taught that good behavior and individual faith were more important than book learning and Bible reading. The Great Awakening had a strong influence on colonial and U.S. religion, culture, and politics. The followers of the Great Awakening had very emotional church services. They believed that people showed their faith through their emotions. To them... Faith was more important than doctrine or official church teachings. They also believed that ordinary people could know just as much about God as church officials did. Traveling preachers spread the movement throughout the American colonies. Beginning in 1738, an English preacher named George Whitfield made several trips to the colonies. He preached in open fields because the churches were not big enough to hold the crowds he attracted. I have read accounts of where Whitfield would have between ten and 30,000 people come to one of his meetings. These meetings were not held in a church. They didn't have coliseums. They didn't have arenas. They were meeting outside. Guess what? The church is not in a building today. The church is meeting worldwide. Amen? He preached in open fields. Amen? Jonathan Edwards, a minister in Massachusetts, also spread the idea of the great awakening as well the great awakening was one of the first important movements against slavery whitfield criticized brutal slaveholders and welcomed african americans at services let me also say this benjamin franklin was never a confessed christian he always looked at christianity but he really did not embrace christianity yet he was blessed he was best friends with George Whitfield, And so whenever Whitfield would come from Britain, he would stay with Ben Franklin, and the two of them would talk about the things of God. I'm talking about the Great Awakening. Hallelujah. Some historians believe that the Great Awakening also helped lead to the American Revolution. First, the movement encouraged democracy because everyone could participate in it. Second, colonists with strong religious beliefs began to question taxes that benefited only the Church of England. Taxes soon became one of the American revolutionaries' biggest complaints against the British. After that, there was a second revolution, or an awakening. So the first awakening happened in the mid-1700s, and it actually helped spawn and birth the Revolutionary War. It actually helped bring about a, a little bit of a Restoration to the church that everyday folks could know just as much about God than church leaders and officials did. So now we come into the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening was a religious revival in the colonies and in the United States and also Britain from about 1795 to 1835. So now we're after the Revolutionary War, and we're moving into the early 1800s. During this revival, meetings were held in small towns and large cities throughout the country. And the unique frontier institution known as the Camp Meeting began. So Camp Meetings began in the Second Great Awakening. Many churches experienced a great increase in membership particularly among Methodist and Baptist churches. The Second Great Awakening made soul-winning the primary function of ministry and stimulated several moral and philanthropical, yes, reforms, hallelujah, including temperance and the emancipation of women generally considered less emotional than the Great Awakening of the early 18th century, the Second wave of evangelical revivalism led to the founding of numerous colleges and seminaries and to the organization of mission societies across the country. In fact, it was during the first, the Great Awakening, that Dartmouth and Harvard and Princeton and many of these universities were founded during that. Actually, these were all founded on religious principles, all of these universities, universities. Look how far we've come today from that experience. The Second Great Awakening can be divided into three phases. The first phase, 1795 to 1810, was associated with frontier camp meetings conducted by American preachers like James McGready, John McGee, Barton W. Stone in Kentucky, and also in Tennessee. The second and more conservative phase of the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, is in 1810 to 1825, centered in the Congregational Churches of New England under the leadership of theologians like Timothy Dwight, Lyman Beecher, Nathan Taylor, and Ashul Nettleton. All of this is beginning to happen in these existing churches. The third and final phase, 1825 to 35, stemmed from the activities of Evangelist Charles Grandison Finney who began his revivalism in small towns in western New York in the 1820s, but eventually conducted revival meetings in the largest cities in the United States and Britain. God was bringing another reset. God is bringing a reset, just like he was preparing everything in that 400 years before he arrived in a body. God was already preparing it all. God is already preparing what the church is needing to look at, I want you to keep this word in your mind. We are looking for a harvest. We are looking for a harvest. God is wanting to bring about an end time harvest. A harvest into his kingdom. A harvest of souls. Now I live and we live in an agricultural area. And what I'm really having put together up until a little while ago putting this together was this and that is not only is it important for you to have a crop planted in the field but in order for that crop to come up it's going to have to have some elements put with it it's going to have to have one thing is sunshine the other thing it's going to have to have is rain it's going to have to be rain in order for that crop to begin to grow There's going to have to be rain throughout the life of that crop in order for it to continually grow. But most important and more important than some of the earlier rains is called what I would call the latter rain. And it is that there comes a point in the crop's history and in the crop's lifespan that it is very important that the latter rain come to fulfill those pods and bring about that harvest That will be harvested later. It's important to have the latter rain in order to have a bumper crop. It's important to have the latter rains in order to have a harvest. Just like a natural harvest, God is wanting to give the church and his kingdom a spiritual harvest. A harvest of souls. And so he gave the former rain way back in the Bible times. But the prophet said that he gave the former rain moderately. The latter rain is going to be even greater, and the glory of the latter house is going to be uh, much greater than the glory of the former house. God is putting together, and God is not in trouble. Please remember that. God is not in trouble. Nothing surprises God. This pandemic that we are living in surprised all of us. Like I said, Saturday morning, I had a mask on. I was a masked man going through Walmart. Six months ago, I could have been arrested for being a masked man in Walmart, but now everybody wants you to have a mask on. So don't, God's not surprised like we are. God's not in trouble like we think we are. We're not in trouble either, but you see, the devil wants you to think you're in trouble. You see, the devil wants you to think that you've been defeated. The devil wants you to think that you don't have your act together. The devil wants you to think that everything is going down in your life when really things are starting to look up. Amen? God wants you to realize that he's going up. And if you're with God and in God's ship and on God's team, you're going up as well. Well, I hear the applause from mighty lands away. I hear the applause from miles away and lands away. You see, the devil is constantly going down. And God is constantly going up. The Bible says that he made us a little lower than the angels. And then he filled us with his spirit, which the angels have desired to look into. Read it, it's in Hebrews. And now we walk around with the same authority that God walks around with in our mouths because we think and we speak, because we are created in the image of God. And we are the body of Christ on the earth. And one day the Lord is coming back and we're going to leave this earth and we're going home to be with the Lord. Amen. The devil's kingdom is always going down. The devil started in heaven. Rebellion was found in his heart. He was kicked out of heaven. Now he's the prince and power of the air. Revelation chapter 13, he will be cast down from the air onto the earth. Revelation 13 says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. You're in trouble because the devil is coming to walk on the earth now. And then from there, he's going to be tied up for a thousand years. And then after that, loose for a short season. And then eventually, he's going to be cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. Fire and torment and torture without end. So while the church, and we are going up, the devil is continually coming down. Always remember that. God is not in trouble. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's getting ready to send a ladder rain. And I'm praying to God, Lord, let Family Worship Center be in on this thing. I want Family Worship Center to be in on this. I'm praying, God, please don't waste this opportunity. Lord, don't waste this opportunity to touch hearts and lives. Don't waste this opportunity. And i got to realize that God's not going to waste the opportunity. I really should be trained. Praying. Tracy, have faith that God is not going to waste this opportunity. Tracy, have faith that God is going to take full advantage of this because God is in control. Amen. Can I get the praise from somebody around the world today? Hallelujah! 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 Glory to God. God is not in trouble. So let's finish this out. We got to get you. I can't say we got to get you home today. You're already there. All right. You need to go out and mow the grass or something. Who knows? Clean the house. Read a book. During the second great awakening, revivalistic theology in many denominations shifted from Calvinism to a practical Arminianism as preachers emphasized the ability of sinners to make an immediate decision for their salvation. Theological differences almost disappeared among evangelical churches. Moreover, under Finney's Aegeus, a rationale for carefully contrived revival techniques evolved. That's the second great awakening. I want to come a little bit closer here in just a minute. After 1835, an irregular core of professional revival experts traveled through the towns and cities of America and Britain, organizing annual revival meetings at the invitation of local pastors who wanted to reinvigorate their churches. Camp meetings came out of the Second Great Awakening. Revival meetings came out of the Second Great Awakening. Although many American Protestants lost interest in revivalism in the first half of the 20th century, tent revivals as well as annual revivals in churches in the South and Midwest continue to be important features of the Protestant church life. All right, pastor, so where does that put us today? What are you going to talk about today? What, what, where does that bring us? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I want to talk about Azusa Street. I want to talk about Azusa Street just for a little bit, and then we're done. The Azusa Street revival stands as a landmark moment. In the history of the church, the move of the Holy Spirit that began in a small, dilapidated mission hall in downtown Los Angeles has impacted the church and the world in a way that few could have conceived when the Holy Spirit fell in a new way in 1906. This is where this church comes from, Azusa Street. Today, more than 600 million of estimated 900 million Protestant Christians worldwide find their roots in the Pentecostal movement that marks its beginning at Azusa Street and is today far and away the fastest growing sector of the church worldwide. The Pentecostal movement is one of the fastest growing sectors of the whole Christian realm right now. And that is because we preach and believe that God wants to completely indwell the believer with His Spirit, baptized in the power of His Spirit. You've got a little slice of God in your life when you receive the Holy Ghost in your life. And I would much rather go through the world facing the life's problems and challenges with God in my life than to just have a biblical knowledge but never have an experience. But I tell you this today, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Hallelujah. So through this revival, God accelerated in a profound way the ultimate fulfillment of Joel's promise, that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, on all flesh before the return of Jesus. The revival at Azusa Street was marked by unusual and undeniable demonstrations of God's power and His presence. In the realm of physical healing alone, stories abound of the creative miracles that God worked through faith-filled prayers of nameless and faithful teenagers. I believe that God wants to use young people in this last hour. I believe that God wants to use young adults in this hour. Not just old people, not just middle-aged people, but God wants to use young people and teenagers and teen, and, and people in their 20s and 30s and 40s. God wants to use everybody in this last hour. Amen. It was said that the manifest presence of God was so strong that sometimes people arriving by train would fall under the power of the Spirit as they stepped off the train at a Los Angeles Central Station. Why? Because the atmosphere was charged with the power of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. On more than one occasion, the fire department was called out to the Azusa Street Mission as the Spirit descended in visible form as flames of fire atop the building. Hallelujah. My wife and I used to work in a church out in Maryland that in their early foundings the same thing happened to them. They were in the middle of a red-hot service. There were people worshiping. There were people slain in the Spirit. There were people laid out on the floor, in, speaking in tongues and in trances, and suddenly the the, the uh, front doors of the community center, center where they were meeting burst open and firemen started walking through the door. The firemen came in and they said to the pastor, we got a call from one of the neighbors here in the neighborhood. They said that there was fire shooting off of the roof. So we have to come and see what's going on. And so those big old firemen started walking through that sanctuary. They were stepping over bodies of people who were laid out in the Holy Ghost, who were baptized in the power of the Spirit, who were worshiping and crying and praying and seeking God. They couldn't find a fire. They went back to their station. It wasn't too long that they got a call again, and they had to come back to the church again, to that community center. They reported again. The neighbor called again, and there was fire shooting off of the roof again. What in the world happened? They walked through the same thing. People are worshiping. People are praying. People are lost in the spirit of God. It's the same thing that happened at Azusa Street oh, that I would love to be in a church service where the fire department breaks in and says, there's fire shooting off of the top of the roof. Why? Because I want the power of God. I need the fire of God. I don't know about you. I'm getting ready to close. I don't know about you, but I want to go back to the days of the Holy Ghost and fire. I want to go back to days of power. I want to go back to days where people are hungry for God. I want to go back to days where people pray more than they play. I want to go back to days where seeking first the kingdom is the norm and not the abnorm. I want to go back to where people are hungry for God more than they are hungry for wealth more than they are hungry for things more than they are hungry for society more than they are hungry for anything else Oh God do a reset I'm praying God do a reset in this hour. Lord do a reset in this church. Lord do a reset in this community. Lord do a reset in this county and in this state. Lord do a reset in this world, oh Lord, I'm so hungry and ready. But by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, back on the slides, racial segregation in the Azusa Street meetings was swept away, as black, white, and Hispanics worshipped together in unprecedented love and unity. You see, God is colorblind. God doesn't see color. Color's just on skin. God sees hearts and souls of men. In that place, countless men and women received a new anointing of power from the Holy Spirit to proclaim the glory and worth of Jesus in the nations. One account I read from Azusa Street, that there will be just a time of prayer. There wasn't a lot of time of fancy preaching, but it was a lot of prayer and seeking the Lord. And in this time of seeking the Lord, someone would begin to sing in tongues. And another person would begin to sing in tongues. In the same tongue. And using the same language and words that the first one was. And somebody else would begin to sing in the same language until the whole congregation, until the whole, all the people were singing in tongues. In the same tongue, the same language, the same song. In unison. That's what stuff that happened at Azusa Street. That's stuff that's happened at Azusa Street. Oh, God, we need a divine reset here. Lord, I want a divine reset here in the name of Jesus. I need a divine reset, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Eternity alone will tell how many millions owe their salvation to what took place in that Bethlehem stable of a church building. Oh, that the Lord would do it again in our day. Oh, God, do it again in our day. Do it again in our day, Lord. Lord, I don't want this pandemic just to disappear on the horizon and sink into oblivion. I don't want this pandemic to just leave us eventually and life return back to normal. Because normal wasn't working, God. Oh, that men will be hungry to pray again. It's time for us to repent. It's time for us to seek his face and say, if and then. It's time for the if and then again. We're not going to get away from the if and then, friends. We're going to have to have it. Mike Evans, a Christian author and leader, says for another awakening to happen, God needs to uproot idols from this nation. Well, you say, we're a Christian nation. No, we're not really. We have our idols. Our idols just look a little different than the idols in Africa and India. Our idols look a little different than the ones in the Philippines, and the islands of the sea. But we have our idols here in America. For people have taken and allowed things, things, to become their idols. The kind of car you drive, the house in the neighborhood that you live in, the clothes that you wear and where you bought them. Did you buy them at Goodwill or did you buy them at and Marcus Lord and Taylor is your car brand new or is your car 15 years old you see America is hung up on materialism and money and things and so and so got a new car and so I'm going to have to get a new car we used to call that keeping up with the Joneses but it's not just the Joneses that we're chasing. We're chasing the Smiths. We're chasing the Finleys. Chasing the Burroughs. Who are, who are you chasing today? Money and materialism has become an idol of their success And the reputation of an individual has become an idol as well. How many likes do I have on Facebook? How many friends do I have? How many people are watching me right now? How many people are commenting on my comment? How many are viewing my post? How many this and how many that? My reputation. Oh, what do I look like? Not who I really am. What do I look like? One day the facade's coming down. One day the mask is coming off and we're all going to stand before him and give an account. Did we seek first the kingdom? Mike Evans says even Trump has become an idol for some Christians. He points out all of this must go. God demands our whole hearts and nothing less. He said I think God is shaking us because he's taken all of our security away. He's taking all of our security away. What are you going to do when your money's no good? What are you going to do when you can't buy gas? What are you going to do when you can't buy food and formula for your baby? What are you going to do when your car is broke down and you can't get it fixed? What are we going to do? All the things that have made us comfortable are being removed. When are we going to stop relying on stuff and start relying completely on Him? That's where we're at today. God, we need a reset in the church. Second Chronicles 7, 14, Then if my people, this is the New Living Translation, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. But I want you to look at the next verse. God said this, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Oh yes, I know. Oh yes, I know. He was talking about Solomon's temple. But you see, that can be also applied to this house today. It can be applied to your house today. It can be applied to you today because you're a temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Word says. God's eyes are going to be open and His ears are going to be attentive. God's waiting on us, brothers and sisters. God is waiting on us. So today the question is are we experiencing a divine reset? Are we experiencing A divine reset. A reset like there was in Egypt. A reset like there was in the garden. A reset like there was that 400 years between the two testaments. When the silence was broken, when the angel choir filled the heavens and said glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Are we in a divine reset today? I'm asking you this today, brothers and sisters. I'm asking you this. Let's sing this song, then we're going to pray. Help us to realize, God, that this period of time that we are in right now is a time for us to reset our lives. Lord, I have preached to myself today. I have preached to the brothers and sisters of Family Worship Center today. I have preached to all of those around the world who will see this broadcast. And Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that we have a divine reset in our lives. God, where we remove ourselves from the intoxicating drink of materialism, where we remove ourselves, Lord, from the intoxicating drink of stuff and things. And God, we'll use this period of time to reset in our lives the true priority of seeking first the kingdom. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to us in the name of Jesus. For Lord, we as a church in this society, Lord, I speak for the North American church particularly. We have been swamped, God, by materialism. We have been swamped by entertainment. We have been swamped by business. We have been swamped, Lord, by agendas. We have been overcome by priorities of the flesh and priorities, Lord, of not the kingdom. Our lives have become so, Lord, out of time and out of tune with your spirit. Our lives, Lord, have become so out of sync with you moving in our lives and on this face of the earth that, God, we are missing things. We're missing things. So I ask you today in the name of Jesus to forgive us. I ask you, Lord, to help us to god minister to this generation i pray lord that you would equip the church again with grace and mercy i pray lord that you would equip us again with vision i pray lord that you would equip us again lord with a burden in the name of jesus that lord we can minister to this time and to this people and this situation for god this is a time of sifting this is a time of pruning so god cut away from our hearts the dead places of our heart. Cut away from our lives those dead, the Lord, saplings and those dead branches that suck, God, all of the nutrients away from the healthy parts of our lives. Prune us in the name of Jesus. Stir us, God, in your name we pray. Sift us, Lord, and cleanse us and purify us in the name of Jesus. For God, we know that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So today we ask you to forgive us We ask you, Lord, to forgive us. We ask you, God, to judge us. And, Lord, cleanse us today in Jesus' name. Cleanse us today, God. Put a hunger in each of our lives for more of your kingdom. A hunger in each of our lives for more of your presence and more of your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Hallelujah, God. You are moving evil out of the way. You are exposing everything, God. You are shaking everything that can be shaken. You are shaking everything from the White House, Lord, to just, Lord, the little house on the corner in Main Street, America. You are shaking, God, institutions that have been full of corruption for years. You are shaking finances. You are shaking politics. You are shaking, Lord, business. You are shaking, Lord, everything around us. But, God, we pray that we don't focus on those things, but we focus on you and your moving and your hand in this hour. In the name of Jesus Christ, let us have no fear. Lord, remove fear from our lives, for fear has torment. Lord, we know that the fearful and the unbelieving will find themselves in the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus, fill your church. And I say the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about individual believers. Fill the church, God, with faith. Fill us with faith to believe that God, you want to do something mighty in our lives, something great in our lives. You have called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, we don't want to turn back either. I don't want to turn back. Not turning back, Lord. Amen. I'm not turning back. I'm moving forward in the name of Jesus. I don't want to go back, God, to what I used to be. I don't want to go back and pastor the church that we used to pastor. But, Lord, how about a church that's on fire? A church that's hungry. A church that's ready for Azusa Street. A church that's ready to break down the Word of God. A church that's ready to do Bible study. A church that's ready to do Bible study online. A hungry church. A church that's ready. A church that doesn't have spot and wrinkle. A church that doesn't have all of the things of the world clouding our minds and taking our attention and stealing our time. Oh God, have we spent as much time in your Word this week as we have in our cell phones. My God, have we spent as much time in the kingdom work this week as we have on our cell phones? God, I would say we need to ask you to forgive us. We need to ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, God, for giving more attention to our cell phones. Forgive us, Lord, for giving more attention to Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. Forgive us, Lord, for giving more time to that than we do your word. Forgive us, Lord, for giving more time to the things of the world than we do the things of the kingdom. Oh, Jesus, visit us, God. Oh, visit us, Lord. We don't want to go back to what we've come out of. Lord, there's a reset that's happening. Something's happening in this realm, Lord. Something's happening in this hour. This is worldwide. It's too big, God, for something not to be changing. It's too big for something not to be changing in our lives. It's too big, God. It's too big of an opportunity that you brought for us to squander it away. So forgive us in the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let us, God, in the name of Jesus, never be the same again. Let us never be the same church again. In the name of Jesus. God, you're stopping the demonic plan that the devil was trying to put on this planet. You're realigning. You're reshifting. You're not coming after church that's weak. You're not coming after a church that's anemic. You're not coming after a church that's sickly. God, you're coming back after a glorious church. You're coming back after a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You're coming back after a church that's on fire. Oh, God, I pray Family Worship Center finds itself sitting among the ranks of the faithful. Oh, I speak to Family Worship Center today. It's time for a change. It's time for repentance. It's time for divine reset in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have a young man in our church, God speaks to, he said, I saw a vision, he just texted this to me at 1130 this morning, 1131, he said, I saw a vision, we were all back worshiping in service at the church, and worship was awesome, like a revival only just starting. God told me that he is going to rekindle flames in people that once blew out. There are going to be people returning to their first love. And people who were going lukewarm are now going to be reignited and be on fire. And I say, do it, Lord. So be it, in Jesus' name. So be it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Worship is going to be awesome, like a revival just starting. Rekindle flames in people that once blew out, people returning to their first love, and people going lukewarm are going to be reignited by the fire. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Wherever you're at in this world, Do it in your life. You may not be part of this congregation, but you're part of the body of Christ on the earth. So wherever you're at, let God rekindle that fire in your life. Let him fan the flames of his spirit in your life again to overcome and be victorious and become part of the body of Christ on the earth. God bless you. We love you. Tuesday night Bible study. Facebook Live, 7 o'clock with Ginger Zimmerman. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, church, broadcasting. Saturday morning, 9 a.m., Food Pantry. God bless you from Family Worship Center. We love you.